ain't gonna give up Got too little time, I'ma live up Head down, push forward through the tough times Cause anything we're doing is Hey there demons, it's us, your girls. Welcome to the Office Goblin Podcast. I'm S. And I'm D. And we are goblins. Two goblins on the internet that have many thoughts, interests, and opinions about stuff and things. And today, another beautiful, scintillating, and tantalizing topic, we're going to talk about the workplace, the ups, the downs, the I don't care anymore. Let's get into it, because there's a lot to talk about. There is. It's like when you grow up and you start to work your first few jobs, and you knew that they were going to be shitty, because... Most of the time, it's like fast food or gas station jobs, just really mm-hmm. menial labor jobs, and they're never Retail. a lot of fun. Retail. And it's like, when I grow up and I get a big kid job, it's going to be so much better. It's not. I'm sorry. No. It's no. very rare <laughs> that you find a company, a business, an employer that does genuinely care about you and your well-being and is willing to accommodate you so that you can be the best that you can be. And so today, S and I wanted to just share some horror stories so that other people don't feel alone. Right. And one thing I will say is that certain settings and certain jobs attract certain types of individuals. Mm -hmm. And some settings, it's just a breeding ground of narcissism like a narcissism epidemic yeah and it's it's really frustrating when you hear how the news and everyone it's like people don't want to work people do want to work yes but they want to be respected for the work that they do a concept right adequately paid but more than anything respected on a human level right and it's Catch just it. it's i have yet to really experience or talk to someone who's been in a field that that didn't exist. Uh, this is every field everywhere is still, at least in America, somehow struggling to understand the concept that their workers, when treated like human beings, work better. Right, right. <laughs> I can tell you out of all my years of working, so going on to 11 years now of working mm-hmm. and sometimes holding down, you know, t- two jobs, two to three jobs at a given time. I, out of all those years, all those jobs had one job that I truly loved and cherished. Yeah. And that's sad. <laughs> I, I've i gotten really lucky over the last few years. Um, I've, I've said this before on this uh, podcast that I work in the library. And the library, I would say, is the only job I've ever had where, like... I've been to different branches, and they've all treated me well. Excellent. And, you know, it could just be who I am as a person, like, and my background and my my knowledge and whatever. But, you know, it's been – I'm very grateful for the few places I have worked that all of the people have been really open-minded and, you know, progressive because it's kind of hard to be – close-minded and like not willing to engage in conversations that you might not feel comfortable with in a place that is dedicated to knowledge stranger things have happened (laughs) so we would be remiss to say oh yeah the library is not a place of 
idiocy and just <laughs> disregard for other people and exchange of ideas and opinions. Yeah, so that's I, I would say that that has been the one place that I've just worked in multiple branches and locations, and I've yet to mm-hmm. be harshly discriminated against or felt like I had to put my my true self away to an extent of like I had to a hundred percent mask. I don't feel like I have to one hundred percent mask when I've worked at libraries. Yeah, I've had the experience of just being more than anything like a parasitic relationship. It's not symbiotic <laughs> in any way. And seriously, some of my jobs were just so emotionally and physically draining in every mm-hmm. sense of the word that it was just a horrible environment. You had people who were not staying in their lanes, trying to impose their will yeah. on anyone and everyone and would target people. I've, as an adult have been called little girl by another colleague no yes yes oh that's no that is so disgustingly wrong trying to be thrown under the bus by other people or when i was still doing academic evaluations the psychoeducational evaluations people would cherry pick my results Ugh. so they would get fixated on one word and it's like well you said this student had attention difficulties Yeah, because I was quoting you in a direct interview, (laughs) you dumb idiot. Read the whole piece. God damn it. Yeah, I... So, like, if we we look back here on my life, one of my first jobs that I was out in the marketplace and not just working for my university as a student or, Mm -hmm. you know, some family member, one of my first jobs was working at um, a home improvement store, a big box store. Oh, cool. And I was still in college. And I have a baby face. So I've always looked at least two or three years younger than I am. And so by the time I was 21 working in this store, mm-hmm. I was I was one of the people who ran the front end. So all mm-hmm. of your cashiers, I was the person that was making sure everyone was taken care of, everyone was having their breaks, making sure like there was enough lanes open, jumping in when they needed help, needed money. Mm-hmm. And the number of times that I would get radioed saying, hey, we have an issue with a customer at, you know, whatever station they were at. And I would show up and say, you know, hey, what's the problem? How can I help? And like, oh, well, we're just waiting for the manager. And I'm like, well... I'm the lead, so I'm here to help. <laughs> it's like they just weren't prepared for a seemingly 18-year-old child <laughs> to come up and be like, no, you're being a dick. You have to, like, leave the cashiers alone and go home. <laughs> I am a baby woman, but I am a baby woman <laughs> of authority, so let me do what I gotta do. <laughs> yeah, and that was, like, that was probably one of those jobs where I loved and hated it because I was also called... Babe, sweetheart. Shut up. Can ew, you just... Ew, ew, ew. Right. Like, mm, I'm looking for a real man or a, a big strong man to come help me load this into my truck. And like, at that point, spite... From a guy? Yeah, from, from a man. Guy? From a man. Spite just entered my body. And I'm sure I lifted things I shouldn't have been lifting. But at that point, I wanted to murder someone. So like... Yeah, these herniated <laughs> discs are worth it. <laughs> 
It's like, I have back problems now, but it's fine. <laughs> you know what? I can't with some people. I really can't. The small mindedness <sighs> of people like, if I wasn't qualified, I wouldn't be working here, you dumb fool. Right? I just, as a general, you know, if someone comes up to you and says, here, let me help, don't immediately question them. If no. someone comes up and says, do you need help? Then you can say, yes, is there someone available? That at least would be, that that's acceptable to me. You know, don't yeah, just automatically assume that someone can't help you because they don't fit the idea of who you think you need to help. Right. When they say big, strong man, I imagine <laughs> one of those situations where you have like a tiny baby head body <laughs> or like a tiny baby head, but then on a trench coat and then there's like three beagles or pomeranians <laughs> stacked underneath so it makes the body look really top heavy and wobbly you know what i mean yeah i'm a big strong man baby woman the only time i ever found it acceptable was there was a few older ladies that would come in and they'd get mulch for their gardens and they yeah. would say are there any strapping young lads in the area and i'm like you know what bethany i know why you came here let me go find them for you <laughs> Horny, horny old <laughs> It doesn't stop. I'm telling you, it doesn't stop. Just because you're old doesn't mean you don't want to see some peen or whatever. She still got it. They still got it. <laughs> what if they take all those strapping young lads and then bury them in their garden with the mulch that they bought? And they're like, it's going to grow a dick tree and then we're going to be set for life. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know what people are capable of. <sighs> Oh my god, I, that that caught me off guard. <laughs> I mean, it's been two weeks since I've seen you. So, <laughs> so what? All I, my weird is coming out right now of my body, <laughs> like an exorcism. It's okay. I'll accept it. I'll absorb it into my own. <laughs> <laughs> what, I, what I was gonna say though is, what about you? What about like your first kind of experiences in the workforce? Yes. So I worked in a clinical setting. It was more about physical rehabilitation. Oh, okay. And the primary client base was middle to older individual, middle aged to older individuals. Yeah. You know, coming in from total knee, total hip, rotator cuff, so forth, more gross and fine motor. So we covered both of those aspects. And generally, it was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Small clinic, but always busy. And then... Maybe a year after starting there, I got an on-campus job. Mm. And it was way different because I was working with one of the professors there on campus. Okay. But certain departments had certain personalities of people, right? (laughs) Yeah. And this department was certainly no exception because even if there were different types of people doing different types of work, they all bashed each other. And... For whatever reason, they all liked me, so they would all be just shit-talking to me about their colleagues. Or even my direct supervisor could sometimes just be very into themselves, Mm. you know, which which I didn't appreciate because then they made assumptions about me and my personality Mm. and didn't necessarily always treat me the best. Okay. Because it was like, it's all about me, though. It's not homie, but okay. Yeah, but pop off. Um, (laughs) So that was the biggest thing. But those were kind of my, like, first two jobs. And, you know, mind you, these are two totally different settings. Mm -hmm. But I could at least tell you in the clinical setting, 
that if I had to go over to the neighboring doctor's office and provide like interpretation or translation services, whatever, they were always very thankful for that. Cause sometimes surgeons can be also very like self-oriented, self-centered. Yeah. But they were always very polite to me and maybe cause it was like short bursts of interaction at a time. That makes sense. So, you know, the pressure was on for them to put their best face forward. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which was fine by me. It suited me just fine. But yeah, that was um, the the beginnings of my working life. (laughs) That's kind of interesting how your, your beginnings was very, like, it was still really professional. For the most part, yes. And, you know, working in those two different settings, I think not only was a great resume builder, but just great experience because I learned a plethora of different skills in different areas, Mm -hmm. whether it be like medical terminology and just the inner workings of a more, let's say, clinic based approach versus a university setting, even if it was a, let's say, not a strict office setting, but a more creative setting. Yeah. And then consecutively, when I was at university, I also worked as an assistant for an expo with that same professor. So it was kind of yet another layer and another thing that I could put that I did where, you know, I had more leadership. I had more independence in taking initiative, ordering my hours and things. Because, you know, it's so much different working as a student where the university or college limits you to a set amount of hours. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, I was getting paid above minimum wage in both the clinic setting and the university setting. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. So at least, you know, at the expense of putting up with sometimes egotistical individuals, (laughs) I was making that bank, son. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah, it's it's kind of fun working – in universities because you really do get the whole at least as a student you almost get the best of both worlds because you're still a student so the expectations aren't perfection you know it's still there's some wiggle room (laughs) of i'm just a baby like that you can still get away with yeah yeah but you're also technically a peer in some aspects and so you are still supposed to be respected in in some cases, but uh, just it's I don't know it's kind of a fun. I enjoyed when I worked for universities because I worked for my undergrad and I worked for grad school and mm-hmm. I I genuinely enjoyed both. Yeah, I did like my assistantships in grad school because they were very practical, hands on, directly related to what I was studying, mm-hmm. and you know meeting some of the more well-known people in the field at the time and also making a lot of just great connections and friendships along the way. One of which was definitely ours. (laughs) And that's how office goblin was born, (laughs) you know, back then, which is so hard to believe it's been almost 10 years. I don't want to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Goblins do not age. No, we We are immortal. (laughs) We just exist within the infinite timeline. (laughs) (laughs) Defying physics at every twist and turn. (laughs) You know, so so that was good. And was it kind of rough? Because, 
you know, I didn't get along necessarily with everyone in my cohort. Sure, there were some social climbers. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of stuff starts early. And then you just kind of figure out who you hang with and who you don't. Or you just keep it at a professional level and nothing more. Yeah. Even amongst your peers in your program, which is fine. You know, just like any place. But it was good. It was good. Um, especially since the cohort was small. Yeah. How big was yours? Because I think mine, specifically, it was like 12 people. I think mine started off with 13. At, and at the end of the first year, we had three people leave, two of whom went to two separate programs, two other graduate programs. So they still kind of stayed. Okay. One of them fully left, but... Uh, went straight to work and just found a job that really, you know, meshed well with them and made sense. And they were really happy since I last spoke to them. Good. But yeah, so let's say it was 13 and that's including all the people in my program and then the handful of people who were pursuing their PhD because my program was structured in a way that for the first year we all shared classes and then during the second year, we had some shared classes, but that's also when the split occurred where the PhDs pursued more research-oriented stats classes Okay. in the event that they wanted to do research or teach at a four-year. Yeah. So they had that because my program was three years, including internship, and theirs was five, including internship. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. But it was it was pretty small. So especially when the split happened, more than half of that, the people there were in my program, including myself. That's good then. See, I yeah. I took a bunch of stats courses just because they were available and I needed to fill the times. Mm -hmm. And I was going to stop after my master's because burnout. And I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> I can use my statistics knowledge. And work for data companies or something. Yeah, yeah, very relevant, very practical. Right, and so my first then, what I consider a big kid job or big girl job, was mm -hmm. for a big data company. And I was so excited until I realized that I did not need almost any of my, stat of my statistical training because they did very, very basic stats like got it correlation like all mm -hmm. that like, it was bare minimum shit you learn in stats 101 that's all i needed and so when i was interviewing for them you know i presented my work and all of this really intricate statistical stuff that i had done and then when I show up day one, and they're like, yeah, we don't really need any of that. But we also want to make sure that you remember how to do all of that. But I'm like, but I... There was a time and a place for you to clarify those things. Right. And as the potential employer. <laughs> and so so I, I got there, and I, I should have known. I should have known Red Flag when I was in my interview process. And they would ask me if I had any questions. And I always asked them, you know, basically, if you had unlimited money and you didn't have to work anymore, why would you still work at this job? Mm-hmm. And all of them said, I just really like the people that I work with. 
That ain't enough. That's not, no. As soon as someone starts dropping, it's a family here? No, run. Run. Like, that's not. Run. That's yeah, not leap out the window no matter what story you're on. <laughs> that's not how this works. And so I started working there and realized very quickly that it was not a statistical job. It was very much a run these very specific equations, like run okay. these very specific statistical equations and make the answers look like we're learning something, basically. So was it one of those things like, I have the conclusion already, but I'm going to formulate a hypothesis that matches this? Yes. That's unethical. Uh-huh. Oh, I'm very aware of how unethical it is. And I it, <laughs> was so, I quit in six months. Yeah, I don't blame you. Because I, I assume there was also data cherry picking involved. Oh, yeah. Because, nice. so, you know, it was big data that worked with restaurants, like fast food places. Okay. And so it was all based on customer satisfaction. And like, mm-hmm. how do we make people come back? And what are the variables that we can control to, like, keep people coming? Which, yeah, I totally get that. But when your data says you're doing everything right and that there's nothing that you can really change to make a statistical difference, Mm -hmm. then that's what the data says. Right. And that's probably good news, too, that you're in the right direction with your work and policies or whatever. Right. But then... The managers that I was working under that would, like, front face with the clients were like, well, we need to tell them something new. Uh, Not necessarily. uh, Don't reinvent the wheel. Like, don't spend thousands of millions of dollars if you don't have to. I would think that would be a given for companies. Like, everyone loves to save. Well, and that's, but that's just it. Everyone likes to save except for the research company that you're hiring that wants to keep your business. Which I understand, but... Holy moly. <laughs> but I, I literally, I could not make the data say what they wanted it to say. Mm-hmm. And so they got mad at me. Sure. Because I couldn't make the data say something that it wasn't saying. Yeah, why isn't this worker ant cooperating? <laughs> like, why can't you just basically make the numbers fit our narrative i'm like that is not how you do research that's not how you do why do you have a conscience what's your problem so yeah that was i i was so i was like the idea of big data and the idea and i even told the other researchers like the head researchers i'm like we should really be changing our algorithm here like we really should be changing the way that we look at things because you're People are changing. Mm-hmm. People aren't just going to any fast food restaurant. Like, the reason they're going is, one, because it's cheap mm-hmm. and it's easy to get to. But the things that people are starting to look for now isn't so much how nice you are to them, but it's like, what are you doing in a bigger scheme of, like, are you eco-friendly are you taking care of your employees like i know that might sound convoluted to some people no but societal trends change but that's just it and they were not changing their algorithm for insights into how to make your business better and it's like you're missing 
a lot of information right now. Yeah. But you're not willing to change. If they're taking a one-size-fits-all approach and just asking the questions they have always been, of course you're not going to look learn anything new because you're not thinking big picture. You're still narrowing your scope to what you perceive to be important rather than what is important, rather than what you're observing and allowing the data to guide that conversation. Yeah. And it's just... You would constantly, it was from every business, small to monolithic, basically, of like, why aren't we getting any new information? Yeah, insights, Uh information. And it's like, because you're not asking new questions. You dumb bitch. (laughs) For (laughs) real. They included that in their report, yeah. (laughs) No, that that always just... It's surprising yet not surprising because it's the company surprised Pikachu face. It really of, is. <laughs> what do you mean? If I ask the same questions, I get the same responses. Right. What do you mean my information is plateauing? I'm like. Yeah. What do you mean <laughs> I have to think outside the box? <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was. And, and it's like, again, once people realized that I. I wasn't willing to just sit there and be quiet with my thumb up my ass and just regurgitate the same stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden that whole family aspect did not exist anymore. Yeah. You were the shunned cousin three times removed. Absolutely. And I dipped and I remember one of the head people, cause like you had individual researchers, you had the guys that were, or the people that were like taking care of those researchers and then those two had their boss. Yeah. And that boss had an exit interview with me. And he was like, you know, what's going on? You know, is there any way that we can make this better? And I was just like, no, because you're not changing. You're not listening to me. I don't feel like, and at the time I was living with my parents, I had to leave my spouse in a different state and, and move back kind of in with my parents to work at this job. And I'm like, I have no support here. I have I have my parents at home, but they don't understand what's happening. Right. And it's like, I've worked for you for six months and I've had two mental breakdowns. Like, breakdowns? This is not healthy. This is not a healthy work environment. And there is nothing you could do to keep me here. Yeah, I remember how long it took you to recuperate and bounce back or even start the process of fully bouncing back to your usual self following leaving that job that took probably much longer than you work there it it took a solid probably year year and a half yeah yeah and that to me was just wild that in such a short amount of time some institutions companies whatever managed to do so much damage to an individual and you get punished for trying to be ethically sound you know which everyone is constantly using the buzzword of ethical and humane and this and that, Mm -hmm. but they're doing the exact opposite that their practices in action don't reflect that at all. Yeah. And I think within probably three or four months of leaving, I had one contact still that worked there and I was like checking in with them and they're like, yeah, everyone's left basically. There you go. Like, from the time that, because we both started working about the same time. And they're like, mm-hmm. but from the time that we started working and you have left, I think there might be four other people that have have also stayed until now. 
and guarantee that between that time that you talked to the contact and now that probably half, if not most of those people left. Probably all of them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, high turnover rates. Come on, companies. What does that tell you Mm -hmm. if you can't manage to retain personnel? And I'll tell you, it was my first big girl job following graduation from graduate school. And I had a very similar experience, lasted four years. But in those four years, like COVID happened, a strike happened, all these other things. And the true colors of people just made themselves known. And some people are absolute monsters. Yeah. And I had all of my managers leave, my direct supervisors, direct supervisors from other uh, practices left, The my boss's boss left, and their boss was found to uh, be contributing to a toxic work environment. Wow. Yeah, I had to file a grievance because it got so bad with a school that I was working at. And you know what happened is COVID hit. And so they had to put the process on hold because there was like moratoriums on everything, right? Right. And eventually my grievance was denied because they said, well, you didn't file within 45 days. And it's like, it took you a year and a half to even schedule a case holding with me. Oh my God. A year and a half. And you're telling me that this is my fault. I'm an employee here too. And this is what you're going to do. Like, I know I didn't matter to them, but that was just kind of like the nail in the coffin. And it got so bad. I went on a medical leave that lasted several months. Yeah. Because I was like, I can't work in this environment anymore. I'm tired of fighting people. I'm tired of fighting uh, colleagues and school, you know, like administrators and this and that. It just got to be too much. And by that point, I had a new manager who was not supportive at all. When I would go to them as a last resort for additional insight, Mm -hmm. and I remember one time having a virtual meeting with them and being, you know, telling them the situation, then just being like, what do I do? And this person is fully sitting there, chin in hands. I don't know. What should you do? Those were their exact words. What the fuck? And allegedly, they were found to be doing some unethical things. <sighs> and I think it was one of those cases where it was, and by this point, I was already gone, but I think they were offered the option, either you leave now and accept this huge payout, or else we're going to fire you. So they did the former, obviously. Yeah. And they were earning very pretty money, but, you know, as much as they were preaching ethics, they weren't doing the same thing themselves. So, like, within the organization, there was just... I think it was just too big and mismanaged and every branch of it was just its own bubble. Oh, yeah. And some of those bubbles were just rotting from the inside. And And it spread to the employees and just anything and everything it touched. It was, it was like a parasite. And when I remember my last day when I was leaving and returned all my things, I almost, like, skipped out of that building (laughs) back to my car. I was just like, today is the best day ever. That's good for you. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, these shackles off my dainty wrists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I felt a freedom that I hadn't felt in the long time that, you know, since I started working there. It just quickly went downhill. Yeah. It's... 
I feel like that we could have a whole episode just talking about the education system itself. And it is so... <laughs> it, it's just... It's so messed up. All of it. The funding, where resources go, where they don't go, the reasons why the they don't leadership. go. The leadership. And it's just... The culture. The ethics. Yeah. Yeah, the culture and the, the lack of ethics is what I saw as so troubling because even private practitioners and you know it was within family rights to have outside evaluations and they would bring in these reports and let's say if the average range was 85 to 115 and the student may have had a score on the low end of average like an 85 right on the cusp and they were like it's already below average and I'm like not according to the official guide if you were taken to court with this that would be a knock against you And yet you're completely okay sitting in a meeting and trying to argue something that you have no data behind. It's already like wrong and you're stretching the truth and, you know, words are everything, how you sell things. Yeah. And the arguments that I had to get into with some of these people who had like doctorates, but I'm like, you're unethical. Right. You're just getting paid to get the family what they want, which was a diagnosis or diagnoses. Yeah. And- this diagnosis has no validity to it. And you're okay doing that because you're getting paid thousands of dollars. Yeah. Have a moral backbone. Shit. Yeah. It's like when you are so passionate about what you're doing, it can almost come back and bite you in the ass. No, I think these people were just passionate about the money. Right. I'm talking though like you and I being passionate for the truth and for the position that we're in. Because, I mean, when it comes to data, I mean, I wasn't diagnosing people, but, like, when it comes to helping with that process or or just research in general, like, you have to be ethical about it. If you're not, what's the goddamn point? Yeah, what's the point of these institutional review boards and everything else? Why should I be punished for people who are at every turn not getting punished for, you know, repeat offending? Mm-hmm. And that was the thing. It was constantly overlooked. The bad behavior of others was constantly overlooked. And then the little guy was punished. The people with less seniority or who just were treated as very much disposable. We don't want you to leave, but we're going to treat you like crap and hope you stay in here like an abusive relationship. Yeah. And the benefits were good. The pay was good. But at the end of the day... It was not morally and ethically aligned, and I was just crumbling. Honestly, mm-hmm. like, when you have to wake up and question whether you want to go into the building to work each day because you're just, like, trying to anticipate what kind of shit is going to be thrown at you, right. what, you know, what adult tantrum you're going to have to deal with next, it gets old very quickly. Yeah. No one should have to deal with that. I'm not going to be sitting there while a 40-year-old woman throws a tantrum in front of a parent just so they could get their way. Yeah. Short of being on the floor on their stomach kicking and screaming. I really feel that it should be more socially acceptable for managers to just tell a customer to go fuck themselves. Yes, agreed. Um, (laughs) The customer is not always right. And just because... You are the customer doesn't entitle you to treat people like garbage. Right. It's very much a... Customers, 
is right maybe 0.001% of the time. And it's, you know, when there's a legitimate issue, yeah, sure. Like, I can understand people getting frustrated with things. I can understand wanting to talk to a manager. But, like, literally the rest of the time, you're just blowing hot air because you think that you can get your way. Yeah. And I'm sorry that you have not been... Like, you've never been denied anything in your life, but, you know, there's a first time for everything. (laughs) No, totally, totally. And if the employee, you know, you speak with is just going to say something and their manager is going to reiterate that, Mm -hmm. or because it's a ethical thing, or because they legally can't do something, or they're literally not the person responsible for why they don't have a specific candle scent Mm -hmm. in stock... That is not the employee's fault. Like, please think about the bigger picture of things. Yeah. Or whether it's retail, whether it's education, because these are all customer service oriented jobs, right? Yeah. We just, I think most people just consider, oh, if you work in retail or like restaurants or something, but any exchange is still an exchange of goods and services, demands and so forth. Just act accordingly good god if if you wouldn't talk to your grandma that way or someone that you love and care about why would you do that to a stranger yeah i just the few jobs that i've worked that have not been nightmares have solely been because i knew my manager had my back love it as they should right and i like that that big box store i talked about for my first job in college there was this one it was like you had your your individual managers for different areas of the store. Sure. And then you had your store manager. And I remember at one point I was working outside. It was in the middle of summer. And, you know, my job would make sure like they would mark off water bottles so that we could just have free water throughout the day to make sure that we were hydrated. Yeah. Because I mean, like it would get over a hundred. And I was working outside, and I had just come into the building. I'd just come back in. I had a water bottle, and a customer had asked me where something was. And I told them where it was, and they're like, okay, cool. And they just left. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm taking a drink of water as I hear my name, and I turn around, and it's the store manager. I was like, hey, how can I help? And they were like, why are you drinking water while talking to a customer? Are you kidding me? And I looked at them and I went, uh, because I just came in from outside? Well, it's not very professional. Shut up. Shut up. And you can eat a dick. Like, what the fuck do you mean? I just worked for an hour, basically, in 100 degree weather. I am going to drink my water or you're going to have to call an ambulance. Which would you prefer? Yeah, eat a bag of mulch, you Oh, I was so mad about that one. And I just, I remember going home that day going, who the fuck does this person think they are? No, truly, truly. I mean, (laughs) oh my gosh. It's like the people that, you know, the the chewers that very openly like, with their food. And if they're doing that with a piece of gum and they don't get flagged for that, then what does it matter if I'm just drinking my water? I'm not cracking open like, alcohol or you know whatever in front of a customer right. what does it ma- like matter i'm not i'm not talking with my mouth full of water like i'm not spitting yeah, water spitting. at them yeah <laughs> like a little fountain like we 
And I, I was the person that would say, just excuse me one moment, I need to take a drink of water. I just came in from outside. Nine times out of 10, the customer is like, no, that makes sense. Like, I'll, like, that's totally fine. I want to make sure that you're not right. going to pass out in front of me because that's going to be weird. <laughs> so to have just not even an, an area manager, but like the store manager just be like, that's unprofessional. I'm like, you're unprofessional. Go fuck yourself. Seriously, eat a bag of dicks. Uh, I mm, <laughs> truly, especially I think when the higher ups don't have your back. And like you said, with the whole rhetoric of we're a family yeah. or I'm going to, you know, fight for you. I would say nine times out of ten, that's bullshit. Yeah. I call bullshit on that. It's just we're going to give the illusion that we really care about you. But first chance we get, we're going to push you under the bus. Yeah. Big, stinky, bull poo-poo. Seriously, seriously. But I think it's also important to pivot in the other direction and talk about maybe some jobs that we did really have a good time at or internships that we had a great time at. Yeah. Dee, why don't you start us off on the good stuff? <laughs> uh, I think the start, you know, of actually working really, like, jobs that I really enjoyed was for the libraries. And, like, my first library job I, I learned later on that my boss was hesitant to give me a chance because I technically didn't have any background in that. And a lot of people think that when you work at a library, you're just reading books all the time and like it's a fun little... No. As if administrative work doesn't work or happen in a library as if overdues or like dealing with customers, making sure that books get returned on time or sent out on time. Dewey Decimal System. Right. The entire Dewey Decimal System and understanding how it fucking works. Like, Yeah, it's all dark <laughs> academia-based library. You dress your little <laughs> cottagecore outfits and, you know, be cute. Oh, my God. So I, I did such a good job that she was like, oh, no, this is great. You're a great worker. I'm so glad that you're a part of the team. And I was able to mesh with all of my other co-workers really well mm -hmm. even though i was the youngest by like 15 years but it's fine it's fine <laughs> bring that youthful energy it was also though like when i started working there you know covid happened and so we were going through all of this and trying to learn how to like libraries had such a difficult time with covid because you're having mm -hmm. multiple people touch your objects constantly Sure, sure. And I don't think, like, the general public understood how much then we had to implement on, like, we were Lysoling book pages. Yeah, yeah. I remember they had books in quarantine, if you will, in my library where for two weeks they yep. wouldn't be touched. Yep. As soon as a book would be returned, they would be wiped down, sprayed, and then put on a shelf for 10 days. And then mm -hmm. they would be able to go back into circulation and yeah. thankfully, we weren't like a really big, busy library. But for those that were, it was not a fun time. Yeah, I remember. So, but just, it was one of those where the people were, were genuinely good people. And we all had our backs and we all knew how to have a good time and when not to be, you know, too laughy or whatever. But it was a very cohesive group. And I was very happy with that yes yeah i i really think really even just one individual can totally make or break an experience 
And the more that everyone is on the same page, honestly, it's just the cherry on top of a workplace community. And not to say that you got to be friends or this and that, but just to know that there is this level of Mm self-respect between everyone and, you know, goodness, kindness, that makes all the difference. Yeah. Not this front of negativity or because I'm having a bad day, I'm going to take it out on you, which I've experienced it at work, Mm. you know, or someone thinks they can come up to you and call you a name, literally swear at you. Yeah. And it's like, we're not friends. You don't talk to me that way. I don't know you like that. You don't know me like that. Yeah. And grown people. (laughs) It's... People just be out of pocket for no goddamn reason. <laughs> Seriously, they think they can just do anything untouchable. Or I remember one time the same colleague that would swear at me without my consent showed me a video of a gymnast breaking both of their kneecaps because the momentum of them landing Great. and the hyperextension of their legs, you know, like full break. It was just horrendous yeah. to watch. And no consent from my part, no heads up about what I'm going to watch so I can make an informed decision. And it was just really fucked up in the moment. I'm like, now I have to live with that image in the, in my mind for the rest of my life. Yeah. Mm. You know, and this was a grown woman, a middle-aged woman. So (sighs) it's just, it's shocking. It's honestly sometimes shocking and appalling how people think they can act around you Mm -hmm. and what liberties they believe they can take with you oof but pivoting back to the good stuff yeah what what's what would be your because like for me with that library job to this day i would if i had the chance go back and work for them again i would in a heartbeat oh yeah so yeah absolutely what about you do you have any positions that you've held that it's like i would take me back in a heartbeat i will be there yeah country roads take me home um (laughs) the one job that I would go back to tomorrow or even today, hell, was this job where I got to work on fine art and old buildings, Ooh. namely um, religious institutions, uh, city buildings, and so forth. Um, I know that in the past, my boss had, you know, worked with major cemeteries in the area, park oh, districts. Cool. And so forth, just really neat stuff. And it was uh, along the art restoration piece. Uh huh. And just having the opportunity as someone who has always loved art, loved making art, and just enjoys art, to be able to be kind of behind the scenes doing this kind of stuff mm-hmm. and really being so stoked to go to work, being stoked while I'm at work, returning home with energy so excited and not being able to wait for the next day i've never had anything like that before and since oh man and it was yeah it was just you know good people that i worked with it also happened to be a family friend that i knew since grade school okay and the vibe was always just a lot of fun even when we were doing serious things Mm -hmm. and I know this boss had my back no matter what. I know my colleague had my back because we were a very small team. Mm -hmm. But no matter how much work we had, we always had this understanding that it's going to be all right and we're going to be here for one another. And not for one second did I ever doubt that. 
That's amazing. Yeah, it was honestly just, I'm so grateful for even that experience in a sea of jobs that were mediocre or terrible. Yeah. The vibes were wretched, foul, and rotted. (laughs) (laughs) This gem of a job, honestly, I, yeah, it was the best. I'm so grateful for the opportunity. And currently um, on the side, I'm doing some work in a museum. Yeah. And my boss kind of lets me have free reign and to be trusted like that and just be like, yeah, whatever vision you have, I'm open to hearing about it, but Mm -hmm. also go ahead is also very nice. Oh, I get to look at old stuff all day. It's really cool. (laughs) So, so how about, how about we do this to like wrap up our talk? Let's do like top five things that managers or or companies could do to keep people right or like to be a place that someone wants to work at yeah with the ethics if you're gonna use the constant buzzword of ethical and moral decision making and just policies and procedures Mm -hmm. do it be the beacon be the example lead by example absolutely Don't only use it as a way to entice potential employees. Actually live it, breathe it, do it. Yeah. So so be truly ethical. And if that means you have to fire people that are like, no one should be grandfathered into a position. Okay. If someone has been there for 40 years, but then you realize that they are the most toxic sludge, emotionally draining, boundary breaking piece of shit in your like employment, get rid of them. Get rid of them yesterday. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And sometimes if you, as the manager or administrator, come to the realization, oh, yeah, in fact, the problem is me, mm-hmm. then change. Honestly, yeah. change your freaking attitude, your perspectives, your behavior. Mm-hmm. It's not, I mean, it is hard, but, you know, if you. Of course. If you make, I mean, all change is hard, but you have to be committed to being a better person. Yeah, and I guarantee the trickle-down effect of you being better will result in much happier employees. Yeah. I What's would, another one? I would say, act like, genuinely having your employees back, you know, with your, not just management, but other coworkers, like, don't just be out to get each other. I don't understand how some people work oh, like so that. it's so gross. It's gross. disgusting and just unnecessary. So make sure that you are believing your employees when they're saying that something is happening and having their back when they need you to have their back. Yeah. And especially you as the person in charge is the default. Yeah. If someone is struggling, if you're short of people, you have to be in the trenches with your people. Mm -hmm. You don't get to sit in the ivory tower in the throne and just boss people around. That's not how it works. No. What about you? your turn yes another one i would say is be mindful of your actions and language Mm -hmm. especially if you have stuff going on personally and i get it life happens everyone has something and we you know we all have a cross to bear but don't take that out on the people that you are supervising leading whatever yeah and conversely you know just co-worker to co-worker don't Don't do that. Yeah. Honestly, like, don't think people will tolerate that, first of all. 
And secondly, by impulsively just lashing out at people that absolutely don't deserve it, you can just completely damage a working relationship. Yeah. I think the gentle parenting almost can be seen as gentle co-working. <laughs> yeah, keep your feelings in check. If you're not doing well, express it. But, you know, I've had this where, you know, boss of mine was like, well, I'm going through a lot of stuff personally, so give me some grace. But then not extending grace to their employees and, you know, talking down to their employees. No, it grace doesn't just stop at you, period. Yeah. It goes for everybody. Yeah. It, it, yeah, you don't get to cherry pick that respect. <laughs> yeah. How about you? <laughs> I would say fair compensation. Oh, hell yeah. And I know that like money is just going to be a major contributor to a lot of people working for your job because that's just right. how our capitalist hellhole society works. Sure. <laughs> and if you know that you like that role deals with a lot of bullshit, then maybe reflect that financially. Yeah, don't ask for a master's level individual, but then pay them <laughs> pennies. I I remember there's a video that's going viral of this person who is having a meeting with their HR and their HR was like, why is your, like not productivity, but like your output, why is it lacking compared to previous years? And this, this person literally just goes, when I brought it up to you before that I have been exceeding expectations two years in a row and I never got a raise. I never got a promotion. I never got a bump. You said that my pay was, like standard basically and they said so i'm going to give you standard working surprise pikachu face what do you mean <laughs> and, i can't work you that hard and then pay you pennies and it's like in the video the silence is so loud because what the fuck are you supposed to say to that if you tell someone i'm not giving you extra because what you're making is standard it's like, well, then I'm not going to give you any extra either. I'm not going to continue to to put forth 120% effort when you're not going to pay me for 120% effort. Yeah. The formula is mediocre pay leads to mediocre work and don't expect anything else. Yeah. So that would be that would be one of my top ones where it's like if someone is really exceptional at their job and they are showing up every day they deserve some kind of compensation for that hard mm -hmm. work and effort. Yeah, absolutely. And I think last but not least, rest. Don't assume that just because you live in the office, your employees want to live in the office. People have a life. Yeah. Work is not everything. In fact, work is just work. We're disposable. We can be replaced at any time. Yeah. And many places just don't give a shit. Unfortunately. So rest. Give your employees time and space. Let them enjoy their weekends when they're off, when they're sick or something. Mm -hmm. When I was on a medical leave, I had my uh, manager reaching out to me. That's not appropriate, nor no. legal. I'm not obligated to respond. Mm -hmm. So don't retaliate. Give people rest. Outside working hours, when the day ends, I'm logging off. Yeah. I'm not bringing my computer home, not taking, like, my work phone home, mm -hmm. and not apologizing for it. 
That's exactly it. I mean, the job that I'm working for now, I really enjoy and love. But I remember telling them while I was doing the interview process, what does work-life boundary look to you? Because mm. I'm going to tell you right now, I have very strong boundaries between my work life and my, my personal life because mm-hmm. I'm not tied to a job like this. I'm not going to eat, sleep, breathe, work. A concept. Right? Nor should anyone. But, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so yeah, those are your top five uh, CEOs, employers, five Fortune 500 people who are listening to our podcast. Yeah, small businesses, big businesses alike. <laughs> I think that's a good, I think that's a good solid five tips there. Tips and tricks on how to run your company. Yeah, just don't be a goober. Be <laughs> a goober. Yeah, employers <laughs> and employees, don't be goobers to one another. I, I love that. I appreciate that. Yeah, five and a half tips. <laughs> <laughs> well, with that being said, thank you everyone for listening. If you have enjoyed it thus far, leave a like, a rating, subscribe, bookmark, shout us out into the universe, and send us to your friends. Send us to your boss. Tell them that we are awesome <laughs> and worth listening to. We greatly appreciate all that you do for us. And until next week, stay alive, friends. Anarchy for everybody. <laughs> From the heathens, got will, got fight, got pride, got reason to 